Hi, everyone. Welcome to Commercial Real Estate Bosses, where we interview badass investors who are crushing it in the commercial real estate space. I'm your host, Sarah Hoffman. And on today's call, we have Taylor Lote of NT Capital. So Taylor, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. Now, as usual, I like to start off by knowing more about your story. So tell us your background. What did you do before and how did you get into commercial real estate? Yeah, absolutely. So my investing story starts probably like many of your listeners, investing in Wall Street type of products. One of the books that's behind me on my bookshelf here was the first investing book that I read, The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. And those who have read it or heard about it will know that it talks about value investing in publicly traded securities. It's the Warren Buffett strategy, except not really because Warren Buffett actually uses a very different strategy for Berkshire Hathaway. But neither here nor there, that's how I got started. And I was always a pretty frugal person and had money left over. And after a few years of investing in the stock market, I'd done well, but at the time, the there was a downturn in the market, which is expected. It goes up and down, but I was also doing the math and seeing where is this going to get me in the long run? What's this really going to do for me? And I determined that that strategy wasn't going to get me to my financial goals in terms of wealth generation, which is what I talk about now on my show. And in terms of just cash flow for my investments, because most of Wall Street's investments don't cash flow very well. So I look for other opportunities, other options to grow wealth and grow passive cash flow. And another book behind me right now over this shoulder, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, just happens, so happened to pick that book up, maybe from listening to a podcast or something. And totally, totally changed my thinking like many other real estate investors out there. That started my journey into real estate investing. After a few years of, yeah, probably a few years is accurate, of investigating what the real estate investment options were, I landed on commercial real estate. I said, this is really what I want to invest in and how I want to grow my wealth. It had the best mix of ability to add value, diversify, work with others, and utilize the skills and talents and time of others to grow my wealth that I was like, all right, that's what I want to invest in and headed and headed down that road. Awesome. So you just jumped straight into commercial real estate, just skipped the single family and straight to commercial. Is that right? Yeah, I did. And at the time, some folks on that decision, whether it was a right or wrong one, but at the time I had met a lot of very experienced real estate investors who started with single families and probably 99 out of 100 of them said, I wish I would have just gotten straight into the bigger deal. So I listened to that advice and moved forward with it. Now, that's not to say that there's necessarily anything wrong with buying single families. I think they're here to stay. And as long as you do it right, that strategy can work very well. It just doesn't scale. And also it has the added downside. I just wasn't very interested in it. Yeah. I think most people that come from just a regular W2 mindset, they think, okay, I have to gradually grow into this. I got to start off with like a single family here, then maybe graduate to like duplexes, maybe get into a 10plex before they get into these big multi-million dollar deals if they ever get there. But I think I, I do like that strategy of just jumping straight into commercial because people don't realize that's possible. Absolutely. And I don't think that one has to invest in bigger deals or continually go from single families to duplexes to more and more units if you don't want to. There are an awful lot of people, if you go to real estate networking events in whatever area that you're in, the odds are very high that you're going to meet 
folks who have been building a portfolio of single families or maybe duplexes have a pretty healthy portfolio and are doing very well. And they didn't necessarily get into bigger deals. They've just been at it a long time and growing. That's fine. You know, there's, that's a great way to build wealth. It just wasn't the direction that personally I felt pulled. So it's not the direction I went. Got it. Now tell us about the kind of timeline from when you, you started researching, right? For a few years, you said, and then decided to go into commercial. So tell us like, when did that first moment start? I'm going to do commercial. What year was that? And what is your portfolio like right now? Oh, it's, it's tough to go back and reconstruct the timeline because I wasn't writing it all down the, <laughs> uh, the moments. I think in the, it was around 2015 that I decided, okay, I want to make this shift and started studying. I think it was 2016 that I made my first investment as a limited partner in a multifamily syndication. And then growing from there, always had my eye on getting in the general partnership seat. And I think 2000, late 2018, early 19, we closed the first deal where I was in the general partnership and it's just been growing from there. Perfect. And so what does your total assets under management look like currently? Oh boy. So my current role, my, my business has evolved as we've grown and my business, it's a current instantiation and the way that I see it moving forward as well is that role in these deals is working with investors, finding the best operators to work with and raising capital. So that's the seat that I sit in. I think to put it as in terms of assets under management would be a little bit misleading. I think that metric is also misappropriated a little bit in the industry today to for folks to make themselves sound a little bit more grandiose uh, than <laughs> they really are. But in the last few years, the total deal volume that we've been involved with was, I think it's over 200 million or something, fo focusing on bringing investors into the deals and investing in them myself. Great. And I think that's a great way for a lot of folks who are new to the business to get their foot in the door is by helping to raise capital. So if other people that have money and maybe you don't have money to invest in your own deal right now, but you can refer those people over, you can get into the deal by raising that capital. The tough thing is doing that in a compliant manner. So mm -hmm. I personally hold securities licenses and that's how we raise investor capital in a compliant manner. There are other folks out there who are raising fund of funds where they're building up their own fund and investing that fund into operators deals. That's another popular way to do it. But that was one of my concerns for years in this business is as I was growing my business, I knew I wanted to focus on raising investor capital. And I saw so many people doing it in a manner that is clearly not legal. If you can basically read what the SEC says about being compensated for raising investor capital, there were a lot of people and still are today doing that in a non-compliant manner. And to me, I like to look at things in terms of begin with the end in mind. And to me, the end in mind is a substantial business where I can sleep very well at night. I like to be able to sleep at night and not be looking over my shoulder thinking about, did I yeah. break XYZ law? So eventually got into the position where we could do that the business legally. Mm -hmm. It has its own caveats and restrictions, all that kind of a thing. But ultimately, I think it benefits mm -hmm. the investors. Benefits me and that again, we can grow and I can sleep well at night. Yeah. But that was one of my concerns about the industry in this particular strategy. Of course. So did you get your securities license once you decided that you're going to become a like capital raiser or did you already have that beforehand? It was once I, I decided to move in that direction and it took some time, maybe 
a year or two. I don't remember the exact time frame to find a way, like basically figure out how to get that all in place. Setting myself in that particular direction and looking, networking, obviously hosting my podcast, talking to people, like learning about, hey, how can I do this till the opportunity came about? That's one of the things about real estate investing is, like I said, begin with the end in mind, but your network is so important. The people that you're meeting, find out how you can help them, try your best to learn from them, and you just don't know what may come of it. But as you spend more time in the real estate industry, you're just going to see that demonstrated over and over again. Got it. And yeah, I think that's a very important thing to note is that if you're just going to raise capital for a deal and not be part of the actual operations of the deal, that's illegal. The SEC does not like that. You have to be part of asset management, maybe help find the deal or other ways that you were involved in the actual operations of it in order to be compliant, unless like you do it like yourself and you get your securities license, which is another path that people can take if they don't want to be involved in the overall asset management. Yeah. And there are some great folks out there right now, like Hunter Thompson with his Raise Masters program, I think is mostly driving people toward the fund of funds model, helping them learn how to raise capital. But there are ways you can learn how to do it. There are a lot of securities attorneys out there with their own podcasts and thought leadership where you can learn more. Just a, It's a good time to be in the industry because there's so much free information and there's a lot of great information that you can pay for, but it also has tremendous value. Of course. Now, for someone who wants to invest passively into a deal and they're not sure you know, who to go with, what's the best way to be able to vet the sponsors of the deal so they can understand what they're getting themselves into? So there's a lot that you can do. And I'll preface this by saying that none of this is bulletproof, right? Things can always go wrong. And I'll tell a story of one of my investments that went wrong where everything looked like it was going to go right. But a few things that we like to look for is just vet them and get them to get to know them over time. Build a relationship. Don't just invest necessarily in the very first deal that you see. Watch how their deals go and just experience what it's like to be along the ride with them. Ask them how the deal is going. Ask for additional information. And I think that can show you a lot about how they operate. Are they just doing one deal and then it's not going well? They're not growing and scaling and just having more opportunities. That's a sign that they may not be the best operators. They may not be serious about the business. Something's not quite right. So you know, just build relationships with the sponsors over time. You can also, a very popular thing that folks recommend is doing background checks on the sponsors. Now, from what I've observed, very few passive investors are willing to do that. Some do, for sure. That's a recommendation that's commonly made. I don't see all that many people following it. That's not to say it's not a good recommendation. I just, I don't see people doing it. It's, it does take work, but it can be a good thing to do. So doing background checks on the sponsors. And then another huge course for passive investors that they should take advantage of is their own network. And they may not have one right away when they're first getting started. But there are great places where passive investors can network, can ask questions, can ask about XYZ sponsor. Hey, has anybody invested with this sponsor? Would you get on a call with me and tell me how it's gone? Because the best, the most productive conversations about any particular sponsor or deal happen behind closed doors. They don't happen publicly. They don't happen on forums. They happen on 
calls like this one, Zoom calls that you can get on with other with active investors or other passive investors. I think just really leveraging that network and building relationships to learn about people is just a huge it's a resource or potential resource that not enough passive investors tap. You could do it. It takes time to build that network, but it's something that you can get done probably within a couple of months. You can build a really strong network of other passive investors if you really dedicate your time to it. Another big one Absolutely. is this is a little less common, but there are threads on sometimes folks will make posts on like bigger pockets about certain sponsors. You can check forums like that. That's a little bit hit or miss. There's not always threads about any given particular sponsor, but getting to know, just to sum it up, get to know the sponsor over time, watch a few of their deals, see how they go. Don't just, you don't need to feel the feeling of FOMO because if they're active sponsors, they're going to have another deal down the road. That's what I tell people a lot is try to avoid FOMO. You can do background checks on the sponsors. Now, like I said, I don't see passive investors doing that quite as often as maybe they should consider, but that is an option of something that you can do. Then as a passive investor, get out there and build your network, meet other passive investors, ask them how their deals are going. Heck, meet active investors and ask them what they know. If somebody schedules a call with me and asks me about somebody I may or may not have a relationship with, I'm willing to share my thoughts privately. It's That's fine. And many other real estate investors are willing to do that too. Perfect. Now on your current portfolio, is it all multifamily or do you have other asset types such as self-storage and things like that? Yeah. So multifamily, self-storage and industrial is what we, what we invest in now. And that is one of the advantages of this strategy where we're raising capital and working with active operators in the space is that I, my personal investments, I invest in these deals. I get to diversify my portfolio. I get to help my investors diversify their portfolios as well, rather than being just horse blinders into one particular asset class and market. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. It's good to specialize. It's good for an operator to specialize on one, maybe two markets mm -hmm. for our business. Being able to diversify is a big advantage. Absolutely. That way you have, you know, mitigate that risk. So as far as those three different asset types, are there any, any pros and cons between self-storage, industrial, multifamily? If someone's looking to get involved in their first investment, what advice can you give them about that? That's an interesting question. From my perspective, I think all three asset classes have the potential for great returns if you're in the right deal, the right area with the right operator. I don't want to delineate between the three of them on that basis because they all have good potential to earn returns. At least that's what I believe. I think the multifamily space has, frankly, more newbies who haven't done a deal and they're just getting into multifamily and raising capital first. Not that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just something to be aware of that there's there are more the higher quantity of inexperienced entrants in that space. Now, I was inexperienced at one point, so I can't say too much bad about that, but <laughs> know who you're investing with. For the other asset classes, folks like to say that self-storage is a recession-resistant industry. I really dislike the term recession-proof because nothing is recession-proof. That doesn't mm -hmm. exist, but the dynamic of during recessions 
people tend to downsize, move out of their big houses, but keep their stuff and get self-storage properties that they can, or rentals that they can put their stuff into. I believe that's true in most areas, but there are risks with any strategy. And in some areas, there's some overbuild in self-storage, particularly I think there's quite a bit of that in certain parts of Houston because of the lack of zoning. I was actually talking to an investor just this past week about that. So overbuilds a lot more, a higher potential in self-storage oversupply as compared to say multifamily where there's pretty high housing demand across the country. Multifamily, summing up, multifamily, I think there's just more kind of newbie entrance to that space, but I was newbie at one point. So, you know, it is what it is, but I, I believe that to be true. Self-storage, great potential there, but there are potential risks in that there may be overbuild. And then industrial, it's a very unique strategy to invest in, in the industrial real estate, understanding how to evaluate the credit of the tenants is huge because you have one property with one corporate tenant with a very long-term lease. If you lose that tenant, then you have to find somebody new. What's your option? So how likely are they to stay? Big question marks around that. As long as you can vet the tenant, then that helps your odds quite a bit. But know what you're getting into, know where the money can be made in any given deal. What's the upside? What's the business plan? What's the exit strategy? And also understand the risks of whatever asset class you're investing in and the operators and everything along those lines. Got it. Thank you. So I want to switch gears here a little bit and walk through one of your deals. People usually like to talk about maybe one that was particularly difficult or maybe their first deal. Walk us through what worked, what didn't work, and how you found the deal. Sure. So I'll talk about the first multifamily deal I was a general partner on, it's actually a reason I no longer invest in C-class multifamily. And we've seen other folks make that shift over time. So it was a 225-unit property in the Texas Panhandle, C-class, purchased the property. It's, I think it was a 1970s or late 60s build. I forget the exact year at this point. Now I only invest in 1980s or newer. We won't go quite that old. But when we got into the property, the classic C-class multifamily story in that the collections were lower than the seller really stated. The condition of the property was turned out to actually be worse than had been discovered on physical due diligence, especially things related to the sewer and the water lines. And that led to higher capital expenditures throughout the hold of the property than we had anticipated. Now, fortunately, we had a very a new but very hungry property management company that was working with us on the property. And they were very willing to work with us, get on asset management calls once a week and have conversations about where do we stand? What's the plan over the next week? How are we going to get these units renovated and leased up? Where are our rent targets? What kind of advertising is working versus what's not working? What are we going to go away from Which versus what are we going to focus on as far as advertisements? How are we going to engage the community with these local events actually at the property and have little parties and things like that? And then when COVID hit, I think initially a lot of a lot of us in the industry were concerned about what are things like eviction moratoriums going to do to collections. In that case, the the gals in the office were just awesome. They were so good. They had great relationships with the tenants. They had a great ability to 
connect with the tenants and make sure that our rents were still coming in and that we were in a good position financially from a cash flow standpoint. We held that property until mid-COVID. I think we sold that in 2021 and it did quite well. Initially, when all those problems popped up, it didn't look great there for a little while due to the initial condition of the property having been not as good as we really thought it was when we acquired it. But ultimately, the value-add plan succeeded. We had a great property management company and some great folks in the office that operated the property and were very responsive and nimble. And they learned really well, had great relationships with the tenants. And ultimately, we we made a nice return on that property. And I think we met or slightly exceeded the projections on the deal. And that really few big lessons out of that one. Like I said, that one is the reason I no longer invest in C-class multifamily because there are just so many things that are hidden in the walls or in the foundation in C-class multifamily properties just because they're older. They're not as well taken care of. It's It has nothing to do with the quote unquote class. It just it's an older property that hasn't had quite the maintenance that it really needed. If you're talking about capital expenditure items, they have a cost, but what's the upside? And the problem is that a lot of those capital expenditure items that we're discussing don't add to your NOI, to your net operating income. They're just big expenses that you have to pay to keep the property operating and keep people in the units, right? Your sewer and water lines need to work, for example. And yeah. you know, you have to spend that money. But it does <laughs> if it doesn't add to your NOI, it doesn't add to your value, that's a big problem. So that's a big lesson that I learned out of that deal. Absolutely. And I think that's why it's so important to have a really good property management company to take you through that kind of hurdle. And I am seeing a lot of people move away from C class going more into A and B class lately. And so that could be a result, obviously, to I think of the current market environment. So has your investment strategy changed at all because of what we're seeing in the market today? Yeah, absolutely. So like we were talking about shifting more to B class multifamily. I'm not all the way up to A. I think it's just too expensive. We did see a lot of compression between the pricing spreads between C, B and A class multifamily. So C got more expensive wasn't worth paying for. I think right now in multifamily, the the big thing that investors need to look out for is what happens if and when interest rates continue to rise. What's our plan? Do we have an interest rate cap on our deal or do we have a fixed interest loan moving forward? Because I think there are a lot of people out there talking about in the multifamily space in particular, about how they expect rates to start coming down in 2023. And in my opinion and my observation, I think that's just wishful thinking, to be honest. I read recently that when the Federal Reserve starts raising interest rates on average, they continue to raise for, I think it's 2.1 years. They started raising mm -hmm. last year, I think in March. So 2.1 years, if that trend continues, puts us into next 2024, April of 2024 or so. So we could maybe reasonably expect to see an interest rate cut. Now, to me, that's not a good enough, a causative enough reason to anticipate rates to continue to raise. That's a historical trend thing. I don't think that gives us quite enough indication. But what we're still seeing with inflation being much higher than the Federal Reserve's targets and unemployment not exploding to the extent that it would be a problem that would drive them to cut interest rates. That's really what I'm looking at in terms of 
what I would expect a Federal Reserve to do is their dual mandate, stable prices, which they've interpreted to mean very moderate inflation over the long term, and then unemployment that they're, I don't know the percentage that they're targeting offhand, but right now we're not in a high un, a high unemployment environment. So until we see that change, I don't think they're going to start cutting rates or even stabilizing rates. I think they're going to continue to hike, whether that comes in the form of 25 basis point, 50, 75, you know, what that actually means in terms of how much they hike every time they hike. I think that's probably kind of anyone's guess what they're going to do, but the gradual trend, the overall trend, I see that continuing to go up. And what that means in multifamily real estate is just look out for that kind of wishful thinking. Are people expecting uh, rates are going to start to come down this fall or this winter and we're going to cut? We don't have any control over that, but we do have control mm -hmm. over what we buy, how well capitalized we are, how we're going in, what our exit strategy is, and what our debt financing is. And that's really what we need to be thinking about. Thank you, Taylor. Tell us about what you're working on right now and what's next for you and your team. Sure. So what I'm working on right now, uh, I'm really going to be writing a book this year. I've been talking with a lot of folks that help people like me write books about investing, still figuring out the exact topic that I want to write about. But I think that helps a lot to get your message out there to generally grow and help people learn from what I've learned through both both my own investment experience, but through hosting my podcast. We just crossed 500 episodes and I feel like nice. I've learned quite a few things. Thank you. I had some awesome <laughs> guests. What my team and I are working on is really centered around that, continuing to grow the show, continuing to do our monthly webinars with awesome guest speakers and just keep helping our investors get their wealth out of Wall Street and get it into Main Street. Perfect. Thank you, Taylor, so much for being on the show today. Where is the best place for people to find you online if they want to connect with you and learn more about what you have to offer? Thanks so much for the opportunity. My podcast is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, new episodes every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. You can check that out wherever you're listening to us right now. My company is NT Capital at ntcapitalgroup.com. You can learn more about what we do, schedule a call to connect with me. I'm always happy to have a conversation with folks that are interested in the space for a reason. If you're in this real estate space, whether it's multifamily, self-storage, industrial, whatever, your network really is your net worth. And I would love to connect with your listeners and see how we can help them grow. Perfect. And I'll make sure to include a link to your website below, as well as a link to your seven-day passive real estate investing video course. So thanks, so thanks everybody for tuning in today. If you guys enjoyed today's show, please write us a five-star review on Apple podcast or Spotify. Every review helps us to be able to reach more and more people looking to get involved in commercial real estate. Today's show was sponsored by Synergy Capital Investments. To download your free multifamily investment guide for beginners or to schedule a call to learn about our upcoming investment projects, go to Thrive with Synergy. Dot com. That's thrivewithsynergy.com or click on the link below.